Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, church. Good morning uh, to any guests that we might have with us today. Uh, Glad we could all be together. Um, If you happen not to know it, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church, and I get a chance to preach about once a month. Um, uh, Normally, that would be sort of the the, uh, rotation. Um, but here during the summer, well, Pastor Brett is uh, gone on sabbatical, um, so maybe if you are a guest and you might not know exactly what's going on there, Pastor Brett, he's our lead pastor, uh, he'll be gone for another 10 weeks, so I'll be preaching a little bit more, um, at least here for the next uh, couple months. And that said, uh, I'm going to start us into a series here this morning, uh, preaching through the book of First Thessalonians. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm, I'm glad to be uh, working through that book with you all. I think the main thrust of 1 Thessalonians is uh, just as every bit, you know, applicable to us today as it was to this church of the Thessalonians back uh, when it was written. Um, 1 Thessalonians was really written to uh, be, of, uh, be an encouragement to that church. It was really intended to encourage them to encourage and to strengthen the faith, really, of this very new church. The, the Thessalonian church was probably less than a year old when, when uh, this letter uh, was written to them. And uh, really, the, the major focus of the book, there's several themes that we'll pick up and we'll see as we're moving through, but really the major focus, I think, of this book is to say that Jesus is coming back again. And in light of that, it is to encourage us, it is to strengthen us in a life of faith that, that really reflects an anticipation of that, which sort of gets expressed in a, a, a progressing spiritual growth over time. So uh, Paul, who is the, the writer of this book, really wants to encourage the Thessalonians, Jesus is coming back, keep on keeping on, keep growing, so that when Jesus does come back, you will be found uh, ready. You will be found worthy. You will be found to have been kept in the faith and uh, ready to spend forever with Jesus. And really, quite simply, uh, that would be my overall uh, uh, hope for the sort of the net effect of preaching through this book here over the summer. It's that we, uh, in, in various ways, would be encouraged and we would be strengthened in our faith in Jesus, uh, really in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, that we would remember Jesus is coming back. And so in light of that, we would be stirred up to be really grateful for the things that he's done for us and be spurred on to really uh, press into a life of faith and of love and of perseverance and hope in Jesus um, uh, as, he, as we wait for him to return, to grow in those ways, and to persevere in a, in a life devoted to Jesus. So um, that's my hope, and, and so join me in praying to that end. You know, may the Lord help us in those ways here over the summer. So for today then, we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump into uh, to the first chapter here. Um, so if you do have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll read in just a little bit. Um, and if you happen not to have a Bible, you could raise your hand. Greg will make sure you get one. Uh, but before we read, before we uh, get moving too far, let me just give a little bit, offer up just a little bit of background here in First Thessalonians. Um, so, 
The Apostle Paul um, uh, pretty well agreed that he's the primary writer of, of, of this book. And he's got some co-writers that are named right away in the first verse. Uh, these co-writers are, are really co-workers with Paul. Paul, of course, is a missionary, and he's working his tail off trying to spread the good news about Jesus uh, all over the Roman world at that time. And he has these co-laborers, uh, Silas, otherwise known as Silvanus, and also Timothy. And they, and they really probably all collaborated together to write this letter. Uh, Paul, though likely, was the primary author. He, uh, his voice is probably really what we're most hearing as we read through this, this book. Uh, it, it could have been that Paul dictated the letter. Uh, he did do that from time to time. It could be that he dictated the letter, letter and maybe uh, Timothy could have been the one who sort of heard that and sort of put pen to paper, uh, so to speak. And man, this letter is old. This is uh, possibly the earliest uh, writing that we have in the New Testament. Now, it's a little bit debatable. Um, some people think maybe Galatians is older, but plenty of people think maybe not. It's very possible that this, this is the, the earliest uh, writing we have in the, in the New Testament, the earliest Christian writing we have, period, uh, that at least that we can get our hands on. So it's kind of neat to think about that. Uh, written probably somewhere around the years 49 or 50, uh, maybe 51, uh, and again, this could very well be the very oldest, uh, very, very oldest uh, or earliest written New Testament book that we have. We get some background on the church in Thessalonians and how, the, how, it even, how, how there even came to be a church in Thessalonica uh, in, in the book of Acts, especially Acts 17. And, uh, and then we get some of that information also just in the book of, of the First and Second Thessalonians. But from Acts 17, we can learn that Paul... Uh, he, was, um, he was in the midst of what uh, would be called his second missionary journey. And eventually he ends up in this city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the capital city and the most influential city in this province called Macedonia. Macedonia was a, a Roman province at the time. Um, but today, uh, just to have a sense of the, like the part of the world that we're talking about, today modern-day Thessalonica... Um, would be in uh, modern-day Greece. So that's sort of the area that we're talking about. And uh, Paul gets to the city of Thessalonica, and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel there. And some people believed it, and uh, the net result of that is a church is born. Okay? Uh, But that did not come uh, easily. That came actually with a lot of trouble came with a lot of chaos. It came with a lot of persecution. Um, But nonetheless, a church was planted there. Acts 17 says this, Acts 17 verses 4 to 5, it says, some uh, were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews were jealous. So some believed uh, a church was planted Um, But eventually, Acts 17 says that these jealous Jews, it says that some wicked men, they they took some wicked men of the rabble, and they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar. So these guys did not like this at all, uh, what Paul was preaching and the fact that people were following his teaching. Um, So eventually, Paul was actually forced to leave the city. Actually, you can throw up that map there, Sam, just to get a sense of where we're at. And so he went on there from, uh, from there to the city of Berea. 
where that same Jewish mob, they find out that he's having some success in Berea, and they follow him there, and they stir up that city, they stir up a a riot there, and they force him out. And so he then eventually uh, goes to Athens, uh, eventually lands in the city of Corinth, uh, and, and then it's probably from Corinth where Paul writes First Thessalonians. And uh, man, Paul was really troubled that he had to leave Thessalonica so abruptly. And he really wondered and, and worried a little bit about how this church uh, was faring. He actually worried that maybe, I mean, there was a lot of persecution where, uh, that forced him out of the town itself. The persecution stayed there. It followed him. Uh, how is the church holding up? You know, I had to leave so quickly. And so he ends up sending Timothy back uh, to Thessalonica to sort of find out, get a report, what's going on with this church. And uh, turns out, Paul or Timothy meets him back in Corinth and, uh, and shows up with just a glowing report about how this church is doing. This church is doing wonderfully. Not perfect, uh, they, they had some questions about some things. Paul would address those questions. But, uh, but generally speaking, they were doing really, uh, really, really uh, well. And uh, this just thrilled Paul. Paul is overjoyed to hear this. And so he essentially turns around and writes 1 Thessalonians as a, as a response to this great report that he got from Timothy. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, I think we have a slide for that. Um, you just get a, you feel a little bit of Paul's heart here. This is Paul writing to them now, and he says, now that, now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, he says, now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all of the joy that we feel for your sake before God? So it's really out of this overflowing, thankful heart that Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. He is really happy about what he's hearing, about what's going on there. He's overjoyed that they are standing fast in the Lord. And he wants, to, wants, to keep, he wants them to keep standing fast in the Lord. And so he wants to help them to keep maturing in the Lord. And so he writes this letter. So kind of that's in the background. So have that in the background as we move in uh, to this letter here. Um, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more background information as it sort of is, uh, seems relevant as we're, as we're moving through the book. Uh, but let's jump in to, to the first chapter here. So uh, please pray with me one more time and then we'll, we'll read. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity for us to be gathered here uh, together this morning. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to um, be filled fresh with your spirit and empowered to hear from you right now, and that you would move us to a life that is pleasing to you. Uh, Pleasing to you in what we believe, pleasing to you in how we live in light of what we believe. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's 1 Thessalonians, just the first four verses here today. So, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has 
chosen you. Amen. So just a few verses today. Uh, so Paul, I think, clearly he's striking a note here of thanksgiving. He's striking a note of, of gratitude and joy. There's no doubt that he's energized by the Thessalonians. He's deeply happy about them. And he wants them to know that. He wants them to, to know uh, that, that he's happy about them and that he's thankful for them. And he wants them to know that because he wants to encourage them. Okay, this is, this is part of Paul's strategy I think, to encourage this church. And by the way, um, uh, Paul really is a model for us in, in that, even for us here today. He's a, he's a model for us in how we can encourage others. Uh, encourage others generally, but especially how we can encourage one another in uh, the local church here. And part of Paul's strategy is, uh, in order to encourage this young church is not just to be grateful, not just to feel grateful, but to let them know that he's grateful and to tell them why he's grateful. Uh, so he's not just going to sit back and sort of feel delighted in this, this church, but he is going to tell them that he's delighted in them. He's going to tell them that he's thankful. He's going to tell them why he's thankful for them. And so with that then, uh, for this message here today, um, I just want to explore that a little bit. Why is Paul thankful for the Thessalonians? And uh, he mentions two reasons, in these verses at least, two reasons why he is thankful for the Thessalonians. So we're going to look at those today. And uh, in light of that then, just thinking about for us, this is helpful for us, I think, because this helps us also to have reasons why we can be grateful and why we should be thankful. Reasons why today we should be thankful really for our own individual lives, but especially for, uh, this, for one another and this local church body that we get to be a part of. In other words, we can, we can hear these things for which Paul is thankful for the Thessalonian church, and, 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 and that can stir us up to see and to be thankful for how we see these very same things playing out in our own uh, body here. Not just uh, at an individual level, but also, again, as a church body as well. And then in turn, as one commentator says, he says, the reason for thanksgiving seem intended primarily as an encouragement for the Thessalonians. In other words, Paul is giving thanks here. As he's doing that, he means that to be an encouragement for the Thessalonians. That's his strategy. And so for us too, um, as, we, as we hear about why Paul is thankful for the Thessalonian church, um, let's let that stir us up. Let's let that stir us up to be, to be thankful for these things as well. Um, and then in turn, let's, let's let them encourage us and buoy us in our faith, strengthen us in our faith, so that we can keep pressing ahead in following after Jesus. Let that be fuel for us. Let that be sort of fire under our, our seats, so to speak, to keep pressing in to live for Jesus. So two reasons here um, to be thankful. Number one, we'll call it the triad. The, the triad. Faith, love, and hope. First reason, Paul is thankful here for the church's faith, love, and hope in Jesus. And what that produced in their lives. So it's verse 3. Verse 3 again. Paul is thankful for the church's work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, um, I actually preached a sermon a few months back, back in February, some of you might remember it, where basically the message was focusing in pretty much on just that one verse, okay? So I'm not going to reiterate all of that here this morning, but I would just refer you back to that sermon. Uh, You can find it on on our website. I believe it's from February 19th. So if you want to sort of get a little bit more fleshing out of just that verse, um, I would point you back there. But just for today, uh, for the purposes of sort of my message today. Just suffice it to say that what Paul means, or what he has in mind with verse 3, it's essentially this lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of good works and love and perseverance. It's that, it's that lifestyle that flows out of, that is produced by um, what I would call a saving faith, or a saving love, a saving hope. It's a, it's a life of good works and love for others, especially other Christians, um, and perseverance in those things because of the gospel of Jesus, especially because of the, the future promises or the promises of the future that come with the gospel of Jesus. And so the gospel of Jesus is really key here. Okay, so um, Paul, Paul actually mentions the gospel Um, In verse 5, we didn't read that, but he says, Our gospel came to you. Um, In other words, Paul preached the gospel to this church, or to these people who became a church. And so what is the gospel here in the the first Thessalonian context? Um, What would the the Thessalonians have understood to be the gospel? What would they have thought he was referring to when he says, the gospel came to you? What in their minds would that be? Um, Well, I think that we're going to see this, uh, we're going to see the gospel sort of unpacked as we move through the letter. Um, But just to summarize right now, I think, um, in the Thessalonian context, I think this, the, 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 the basic answer to that question, what is the gospel, to summarize that, I would say it's this. The gospel is, um, it's the good news that Jesus died and rose again so that our sin can be forgiven and that we can have favor with God and Jesus went to heaven and Jesus is coming back and we're going to be with him forever. That's the core, basic gospel message in the First Thessalonian context. Um, that's what the, 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 the Thessalonians received. It's what Paul preached. Um, it's still the gospel that our church preaches today and other churches preach today. And that's the gospel that saving faith believes and saving love embraces and saving hope uh, lives for and reaches for and trusts in and so on. And again, this is what Paul preached to the Thessalonians, and it's what they believed, it's what they loved, it's what they hoped in, and it's that which produced their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope in Jesus, uh, for which Paul is so thankful, okay? And so that triad there, faith, love, and hope in Jesus, and what that produced, that's the first reason Paul gives here for why he's thankful. He sees these things on display in this young church, and he's thankful. And I think probably um, uh, what Paul has in mind here for what are these works and labors and hopes, um, I think we'll see those as we work through the letter, but just to summarize it here, I think, uh, what does Paul have in mind? What is he seeing? Um, He's probably um, 
remembering what he knew about this church's evangelistic efforts, their evangelistic zeal. He probably has in mind uh, how they loved their fellow Christians, especially how they supported others uh, financially. Uh, Probably has in mind uh, their sexual ethics and how they're largely taking a stand against some of the sexual immorality uh, that was in the world around them. Probably has in mind their, just their perseverance in some considerable uh, persecution. Okay, so Paul remembers these things, and he's thankful, and he, and he wants to encourage them, and so he tells them that he's thankful. He's seen it, he's been told about it, he remembers it, he's praying for them, and part of that prayer is just pure, glad thanksgiving because of this lifestyle that is produced by this faith, love, and hope in Jesus. And really, you know, I think it occurs to me that, that um, you think about the Christian lifestyle. And, uh, you know, what, what might be a good way to sort of sum that up? Um, you, call, you could call it the triad life. Uh, it's not very creative, but the triad life, the Christian lifestyle. I think we could sum it up in a brief way um, with that triad. So if we were going to sum it up, you know, not just what we believe, but how we live because we believe or because of what we believe. How, how ought that to be summed up or what are the marks of it? What should it look like? How would we identify it? And again, I think this, this idea of that triad is actually a pretty good thing to hang our hat on. It's, it's essentially the, the, the persevering life of good works and love for others in anticipation of Jesus' return. It's a life that believes and embraces and loves the gospel of Jesus. And then out of that, it's this persevering life of good works and love for others in anticipation of Jesus' return. I think that's a pretty good sum up of sort of the priority of the Christian life. If you could sum up the Christian lifestyle, that's what it is about. That's what we do. That's how we live as a way of life because of what we believe. And Paul saw and he heard about that and he remembered these things in the Thessalonian church and very understandably, he is thankful. And so I think um, we can take a call here for us as well. Uh, to do the same. And so as we, as we see these things, as we see this triad lifestyle, if you will, sort of on display or manifested in various ways in our body, take note and be thankful. Be thankful for that. That's a major reason to get up in the morning and be of good cheer when you see these things in a local church. That's a major reason why God would call us to be grateful. And like Paul here then, I would say, speak up. If you see these things, make note of it and tell somebody about it. You see something in somebody, tell them that you're thankful for them because of these things that I'm seeing in your life. And I think uh, that, that, is a, that will go a long way to keep us encouraged, to help us keep on keeping on, especially keeping on, keeping on in these specific ways of, of faith and love and hope and, and the lifestyle that comes out of that. And so, so do that as you, as you have opportunity. You know, let's, let's be stirred up this summer and, and beyond to, to uh, be quick to notice these things and to share these things with one another. I think that's, uh, that's something that uh, uh, this text calls us to. And then uh, number two, a second reason Paul is thankful. First reason, that triad life. Second reason, it's God's choosing. 
God's choice, God's love, his choosing. Um, The second reason, it's that Paul knows that God loves them and that he has chosen them. So verse 4, you see that in verse 4? Verse 4 again, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. And so just just see the flow of this here. Um, Look back up at verses 2 and 3 again. And we'll just read through there just to catch the flow. Uh, Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you you in our prayers. We might say, why, Paul? Well, two reasons. Number one, verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, then number four, or then verse 4, for we know. And that could be translated as knowing. So one reason at verse 3, remembering and A second reason at verse 4, knowing, knowing brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. Of course, when he mentions brothers there, um, that can just as easily mean brothers and sisters. So Paul is thankful for the Thessalonian church here because he knows that God has chosen them. Uh, He, he, in in chapter 2, verse 12, he says something similar Um, Chapter 2, verse 12, he says, God calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul is thankful here because God has chosen the Thessalonians. He has called them, in other words, to be part of his people. He's called them to be part of his family. He's called them to be part of his kingdom, uh, part of his people and family. And actually, this is is pretty incredible that Paul is is laying this out here in, in uh, in this chapter. When you think about the context here, it's pretty remarkable that Paul would use this language. Um, the Thessalonian church was made up largely of, uh, of Gentiles, so not Jews, pagan, you know, worshiping the Greek and Roman gods and, and everything in between. Um, not Jewish. And Paul, of course, is very proud or he's very rooted at least he's very deeply rooted in his jewish heritage paul is a very committed jew and here um, he's using what would have been understood as very uh, jewish covenantal language but now he's applying it to this gentile church so uh really incredible that he would do that so gordon fee says this you can throw that slide up there please gordon fee He says that Paul's language here deliberately echoes the foundational text of Jewish understanding of their relationship with God. Uh, Namely, Deuteronomy 7, uh, verses 6 to 8, which says this. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's, but it was because the Lord loved you that he brought you up with a mighty hand. In other words, brought them up out of slavery in Egypt. So now Paul is using this same election, loving, uh, choosing language, and he's transferring it now to uh, these Gentiles in, in Thessalonica. Uh, And he's saying that you, non-Jewish Thessalonians, um, God has elected you. He's chosen you. He's set his love on you. Not because of anything that you've done, 
Not that you deserve that, but simply because of God's choice. Completely unmerited, totally gracious, God chose you. This is what he's saying. And, and this is a, just a central beauty of the gospel itself. It's that, it's that God's kingdom, uh, God's family, uh, God's people, God's kingdom fully open to people from all uh, uh, tribes, all tongues, all nations, people from every people group on the planet, not just for Jews. God is not a, a mere tribal deity, but he's the creator God, and his kingdom is open to all of creation. It's open to any and to all who would turn from their sin and embrace Jesus, to, to trust this gospel of Jesus that, that we've mentioned, and to trust Jesus for the benefits of his death and his resurrection. Uh, it's, it's for, it's for uh, all of those who would turn to Christ in that way. Uh, James Grant, he says this. Uh, James Grant, he says, by calling these Christians elect, Paul was using language from the Old Testament. Language usually used exclusively for Israel. Israel was God's elect, God's chosen people. But Paul was now applying that truth to this Gentile church in Thessalonica. They were now God's elect, God's chosen people. God's plan for the kingdom would now go forward through them. What was true of Israel is now true of the church, those who believe in Messiah Jesus. And man, um, so that's really remarkable. And, and, I, and, and Paul really underscores this, I think, very significantly in verse 4 when he says that the, the Thessalonian Christians are, 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 quote, loved by God, right? For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God. Um, Paul is underscoring it even more. That's not just a throwaway line for Paul to say that a, a person or a people is loved by God. So don't let that sound like sort of a simple uh, little platitude, okay? In fact, it carries huge significance uh, it carries just huge uh, theological freight. It carries huge significance as it's connected to this di- idea of being God's chosen or being God's elect. And uh, y- you can see this language really throughout the Old Testament. Uh, it's related to God's love for his people. And very simply, it was Israel that was considered God's beloved. It was Israel that was considered God's beloved. But hugely significant, uh, and James Grant again points this out, hugely significant, James Grant says, when Jesus arrived on the scene, he was baptized, and we came up out of the water, God said, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus embodied this reality for us. And according to Paul, then in, first, uh, in Ephesians 1, 4, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, the result of which is that his grace is freely bestowed on us in the beloved, that is, in Jesus. And so our election um, uh, is bound up and it's connected to Jesus Christ. And when we trust in him, then we are adopted into God's family. We become among God's people. We come into God's kingdom as beloved sons, as beloved daughters. So I say amen to that. Um, I think that's very well said by James Grant. Um, Paul was thankful, um, and he wanted the Thessalonians to know that they are loved by God. And I think that's for us today as well. 
that is for us here today as well. Insofar as we are connected to Jesus through faith in him, we are loved by God. Insofar as we are in Jesus, who is the ultimate beloved, then we too are beloved of God. And, and, and that's not a throwaway line. Don't hear that as a simple platitude. That's not a throwaway line that, that we are loved of God, that we are the beloved of God, that God loves us. That means that he chose us to be a part of his family. I've used this analogy before, um, but you know, when I got married, I didn't just sort of stand on the street corner and, and, and just say, hey, you know, anybody want to get married? Just come on in, whoever. But no, I went out and I set my love, my affection on Karina. And I chose Karina, and I, and I pursued Karina. Now, I love other ladies, of course, but my, my sister's in this room. I love you. I don't love you like I love my wife. I love my wife with a special love, a choosing love, and it's like that. It's a picture of God's loving us. It's a picture of God choosing us to be his people. Or you think of your kids. I mean, sure, you, you, you love other kids, but not at all the way you love your own kids. I mean, there's something special about your own children. And you love them with sort of a, 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 a special electing, choosing love that really is only for them. And, and that's, a, that's a picture. That's like God's loving and choosing his pe- people. It's a, it's a special electing, choosing love that is just sealed forever in Jesus. And just want to sort of underscore that a little bit here. Jesus says this in John 6. I think we have a slide for that. Um, he says this at verse 37 and on through the chapter. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So this, this drawing of the Father or this... this um, this giving of the Father, giving people to Jesus, or this granting by the Father that people would come to Jesus, that's a way to to think about this idea of God choosing his people. If you are trusting Jesus, then God has chosen you. God gave you to Jesus, in other words. He drew you to Jesus. He granted that you would come to Jesus. He gave that to you that you would come to Jesus. So you didn't do that yourself. I didn't do that myself. I didn't draw myself to Jesus. You didn't give yourself to Jesus. No, God acted on you. God acted on you. God chose you so that you would ultimately come to Jesus. And in so doing, that guarantees, as Jesus says here, that you will persevere to the end. Jesus will never cast you out. Jesus will raise you up on the last day. Incredible. And so verse 4 again, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. That's the second, but really ultimate reason why Paul is thankful here in chapter 1. God chose the Thessalonians. Now interestingly, he'll give some reasons why he thinks God chose them, and we'll get into that next week a little bit. But for now, he's thankful that God chose them. And, and again, for us, that's really the ultimate reason then for us, uh, 
the ultimate reason why we should be thankful, the ultimate reason why we should be encouraged. If we are believing and loving and hoping in the gospel of Jesus, if we, are, if our, if we have faith and love and hope in Jesus, that's God's work in us. That's his gift to us. If that's you, that's God's gift to you. And so never will there be a day on which this is not true for you. Never a day. Regardless of your circumstances, we will always, or this will always be true. This is one thing that you can hold on to. This is one thing that can truly never be snatched away from you, taken away from you, or be untrue of you. It's that God chose you to be his. He chose you in Jesus. He loves you in Jesus. And so uh, the call here today is just do be encouraged by that. Let that encourage you today. God has chosen you. He's loved you in Jesus. And I think it's precisely that, 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 that promise that Paul intends to encourage the Thessalonians. And so I think it's still that promise that God would intend to use to encourage us and strengthen us still today. So, so reasons to be thankful today, reasons to be encouraged today. Um, number one, that, that triad life uh, of the work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in Jesus. Really a good sum up there of the Christian lifestyle. What does a Christian life look like? It's right there. And then also, uh, number two, really the ultimate reason is, is that is that electing, choosing love of God by which we are called in to be a part of God's family, secured in Jesus forever. Um, reasons to be thankful uh, for Paul with the Thessalonians, reason for us to be thankful here today as well. So deep reasons for gratitude today, deep reasons to be encouraged today. Um, and again, I would just say, let's in fact be grateful for these things. And as we see these things in one another, let's, uh, let's speak up and let's, let's talk about it. Let's share what we see uh, in one another. Let's, let's share uh, as we have that opportunity to, to do that. And I think as we, as we make it more of our habit to do this, uh, uh, seeing these, these evidences of God's work in our lives, seeing this, this faith, love, this hope, seeing uh, evidence of our being chosen, the more we make a habit of mentioning those to one another, being thankful for that, telling one another of that, I think that's just going to be a major avenue by which God will keep us encouraged to keep us pressing on, again, to, to uh, spur us on to keep following Jesus and keep on keeping on in that life of love and, and faith and, and hope. So may the Lord do that. Let's pray. Um, God, thank you for um, the encouragement of your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your electing love on your people. Jesus, I thank you directly for, uh, for your, your perfect life on our behalf. Thank you for your perfect, sacrificial, sin-atoning death on behalf of those who would trust you for it. Thank you for rising from the dead and proving that your sacrifice was successful and acceptable. Thank you for your promised return when we get to be with you forever. Just thank you for being reminded of that briefly this morning. May it, in fact, encourage us and stir us up to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.